I want to invite us to turn our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're talking about choosing between uh, blessings and curses. Choosing between blessings and curses. Why did such a title arrive as our subject of study today? Because of what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 30. I want you to see what the text says. So once you're there, just please let me know by simply saying amen. All right. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. We'll look at 19 and 20. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 30, and we're considering verse 19. I call heaven and earth, and I'm reading from a King James Version. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore, what does God want us to choose? He says, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. The reality, we pause right here. The reality is this. Every day you wake up and every day I wake up, if there's one thing we all have in common, it doesn't matter if we are from different cultures, different genders, different age groups. If there's one thing we all have in common given to us every single day is the opportunity to make choices. We all make choices, right? And with every choice, there's either a blessing or a curse. And the Bible is very clear that God says, I present before you life and death. I present before you blessings and cursings. But then God says, but I want you to choose life. And the reason he wants us to choose life is not only that we might live, but also that our seed will live, our children. And when you think about choosing life, is that something we do physically or mentally? What do you say? When you choose life, is that something you do physically or do you first do it mentally? The reality is you do it mentally first. You don't act out. Your, you, you can act out a choice, but the choice is made in the mind. Isn't that right? The choice is made in the mind. And so choosing life is how everything starts in the mind first, and then from that is followed through with the actions. I remember I had a friend who uh, was diagnosed with cancer. Now, the, often when you're diagnosed with cancer, especially cancer, even though there's a myriad of types of cancers, some certainly more deadly than others, but often when we think of the word cancer, we can't help but to think of the word death. It almost seems like they just go hand in hand. When you think cancer, you think dying and death. And the reality is, is because it's already the number two killer in the world, right? It's a lot of people die from cancer. So that's why we automatically think death. But one of the best ways to beat cancer, one of the best ways to beat heart disease, one of the best ways to beat whatever the disease may be, is to remember what God just said, choose life. And that starts in your mind. If you and I have stress responses and reactions that causes us to go into deep depression, anxiety, panic attacks, we can exacerbate a condition that's already happening in our body. We can make it worse. And so a lot of times in life, we have to remember, choose life, choose living, choose to believe the good things, choose to believe the better outcomes. And that's actually the will of God. Because as we all know, cancer can be a death sentence, but it most certainly is not always a death sentence. I had an email just not long ago, a sister, she had lung cancer. Lung cancer is extremely deadly, very deadly, especially if you're stage four. And she was stage four. 
Most people were already preparing for her funeral. But there's an organization of which I am both a teacher, an instructor, um, also a board member. It's called Meet Ministry, located in Huntingdon, Tennessee. I'm one of the instructors there for when they have missionaries come in for missionary training. I'm also a board member, and I'm a just very dear friend and, and son, if you will, to uh, those who run that organization. And they have gotten people who came there literally with blindness, and they actually eventually see. People who were diagnosed with AIDS and don't have AIDS anymore. I mean, miracles, I tell people, always takes place at Meet Ministry. And there was this sister who came there to meet ministry stage four lung cancer, and she went through the program. And there's no drug medication. There are physicians on ground, but they don't use medication as the means of helping the people. They use simple what's called natural remedies. And here it is that they treated that sister with lung cancer. She was, it was in March. And then a year goes by. And in September, and I got a chance to minister to this sister a little bit. And a year and a half later, a year and a few months later, how wonderful it was when I got that email. And she said, Brother Lemon, they've done their scans. They've checked me through and through. And there is absolutely no trace of my cancer. And I said, glory, hallelujah. And let me tell you, family, that new life that God gave to her started in her mind. And so it is with every single one of us. God Life and death is always in front of us. Blessings and cursings will come as a result of our choices. And God admonishes us, choose life. Now look at verse 20 and let's find out what God really meant when he said, choose life. Because yes, we should choose life in every understanding of the word, but there's a special understanding of the word life that God wants us to get as we look at verse 20. The Bible says in verse 20 of Deuteronomy 30, we're in Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, and we're now looking at the 20th verse. The Bible says that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him. Why? For he is what? He is your life. He is your life. It says, for he is your life and the length of your days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So when God was encouraging us, choose life, he was really encouraging us, choose him. Choose him. Choose me. That's what God is saying. In other words, listen carefully, family, because we have to take this old truth and we have to apply it to our present day. What God is trying to teach to every single one of us is a very simple lesson. Every single day, you and I have choices. The choices that we are called to make are the choices that produce life rather than death. And the easier way to know which choice is the better or the worse is God says, remember, I am life. So choose my ways every day. That's God's counsel to every single one of us. Now, when we choose God, the Bible says we get blessings. So that means when we reject God, what do we get? Curses. Does God want us to have curses? No, 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 no. God made it very clear. Don't, though cursing is an option, God says choose life. Now, I want you to watch this because knowing that I stand and you stand in the process of blessings and curses, 
Let's think about this. Number one, the word blessing. If we look at the word blessing, it's dealing with a gift. So God says life and death, blessing and curses. And again, our study today is choose choosing blessings or curses. God wants us to choose life, which is to choose the blessing. And in every blessing, there is a what? A gift. Is a gift. Something that was born of the heart of God, that his desire is to give it to you and to give it to me. There's a precious gift in every blessing. The blessing of life every day. The fact that I'm still breathing. That's a gift. It's a gift of life. That's what we call it, right? The gift of life. God breathed into the nostril of man and gave him that breath, that gift of life. You and I, every blessing that we get from God, it's a gift. A gift is not really a gift if you earned it. We don't call that a gift. Like when you get your paycheck for, your, for working at your job, you would never call that a gift. You would say, that's my wages that I earned. You know, I earned my wages, right? So again, when you think about a gift, you're thinking about something unmerited, something that you didn't work for it, but it was still a blessing that God desired to give to you in spite of the fact whether we were, were worthy of it or not. So every time you think of the blessing, you're thinking of receiving a gift from God. Now, when we think about the cursing, whenever we think about cursing, we're thinking about condemnation. We're thinking about something very bad, condemnation. We are not in the favor of God. The salvation that he wants to give, we are sacrificing it. We are losing it. And so God says every day, by the way of which you make your choices, you and I are going in the path of blessings or curses. And God loves us enough to remind us, remember, choose the blessing, choose life. Now, pretty simple. I'm going to go ahead and let them get connected. All right. Thank you so much, brother. Do you mind taking that? Thank you very much. So if you understand what I'm saying thus far, let me just hear you say amen. All right. Very good. Now, I want us to consider this blessings and curses. God wants us to have blessings because in the blessings there's life. God does not want us to get the curses because in curses there's condemnation. No one wants condemnation, at least no one who's wise. Now let's go ahead and go to our next phase of study. How do I, you know, get blessings or curses? How can I make sure that all my choices are based on blessings and life versus cursings and condemnation? Go to Jeremiah 17. Because now we're going to build on this because what I believe firmly is that we are living in a time where we have to really guard very carefully how we make our choices. Again, every single day we are making choices. That is something that is fairly unavoidable. In that reality, every choice is designed either to produce blessings in life or curses and condemnation. God's counsel to humanity is choose life, choose the blessing. Now what we're doing is we're going to now look at, well, how can I make this more practical as it relates to, am I choosing the gifts or my condemnation? And here's a counsel from God in Jeremiah 17, right there in verse five. And I want you to watch this carefully because we need to make this study very, very practical. In Jeremiah 17 and verse five, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord. Cursed be the man that does something. What does the man do? He trusts in man. 
and makes flesh his arm and whose heart departs from the Lord. I want you to notice what the verse is saying. When we put our trust in man, the Bible is very clear. We invite in our lives a curse. Why is it that we invite in our lives a curse? Because in choosing man, we're departing from the Lord. So the curse comes by choosing man over what God says. Are you following that? I, want you to, I just want to be very clear. The way that I can invite and the way that you can invite a curse in our lives, which we don't want, is when we put our trust in men or a man, even if it's the man or woman in the mirror. Are you following? When we put our trust in man over the words of God, we are departing from God. And that's how the curse comes, which we know brings condemnation, which we don't want. But go down two verses. Watch this. If you go down two verses to verse seven, the Bible then says, but blessed is the man that trust in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. There goes your blessing. There goes your gift. So when God says blessings or curses are based on our choices, God says, if you put your trust in any person, even if it's ourselves, when we put our trust in ourselves above what the word of God has said or above what God has said, we are departing from the Lord and drawing closer to mankind and putting our trust in them, and that invites the curse. But if we put our trust in God, God says, you're blessed. And every gift that comes from above from the Father of lights is yours. Every gift. If you understand what I'm saying thus far, let me hear you say amen again. Amen. Now watch this. Is this easy to do or is this hard to do? <laughs> In other words, again, life and death, blessings, cursings. Choose life, which is to choose me, which is where the blessings are, where the gift is. Curses, avoid it like the plague, because that's where condemnation comes. and We don't want that. How do I more practically understand this? God says, where do you put your trust? Do you know as a father... It is my job to train my children to not just merely love me and respect me and so on, but it's also to teach them how to trust God's words more than my own. Did you know that that's the responsibility of this father and I also believe of every other father? We are to train our children to know and love God so much that even, and boy, do I put a big God forbid here. But even if mommy or daddy were to choose to go in the wrong direction, you will be like Jesus at 12 years old when he was missing at the feast 
And when his parents came to him and said to him, son, our hearts have been so perplexed. We've been looking for you. Where have you been? And then Jesus says, mom and dad, don't you know I must be about my father's business? Now, I hope you understand what Jesus was doing there in Luke chapter two, right there in verse 52 and onward. You know what Jesus was doing. He was rebuking his parents. Did you know that? He was rebuking his parents. It was a very gentle rebuke. It was gentle. How do I know that Jesus was rebuking his mom and dad? Because he said this is what he was saying. That, you know, there's two ways to listen to people. Listen to what they say, but listen to what they don't say. And that's the best type of listening any good listener can do. Jesus was trying to say to his mom and dad, I must be about my father's business because you weren't. It's a gentle rebuke. Gentle rebuke. Jesus was saying, mom and dad, you should have never taken your eyes off of me. I am your 12 year old son. That's why I love that little book, Desire of Ages. And Desire of Ages says, uh, you know, as a child, when Jesus was a youth and Desire of Ages said the father in heaven was too wise to leave Jesus solely in the hands of Mary and Joseph. And therefore, the father would station angels to watch over him. Thank God God did that, because at that moment when Joseph and Mary were so happy talking to their friends, you know how many parents do on the Sabbath, right? We find ourselves so busy sometimes talking with our friends, we can forget for a moment like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. And it happens to us. It happened to me. But here goes Jesus. God says, no, no, no. I want to make sure. So Jesus was giving a, it was a very gentle rebuke, very gentle because he loved his mom and dad. He loved them dearly. But even Jesus wants us to understand, brothers and sisters, there comes a time that even with my own children, I have to remind them, you respect mommy and you respect daddy. You follow what we ask you to do and honor your father and your mother. But the Bible is very clear. Children, obey your parents. How does the verse finish? In the Lord. Isn't that right? Imagine, you know, the phone rings and I'm a Christian child. I'm 12 years old and the phone rings and, you know, as a 12 year old child, I pick up the phone. Hi, can I speak to your dad? And then I tell dad, dad, so and so's on the phone. And you see the father go, oh, no. It's one of those people on the phone that father does not feel like talking to. So father ends up saying. Tell them I'm not home. That child has to make a choice. Do I honor my father? Or do I tell a lie? What do you think that child should do? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what the child did. This was a wise child. The child found a way to honor their earthly father and their heavenly father at the same time. So you know what the child did? The father said, tell him I'm not home. The child was like, oh, no, tell him I'm not home. That would be a lie. But my father's telling me to do it. And the child said, I know what to do. The child got back on the phone. The child said, my father told me to tell you he's not home. God was pleased and the father should have been pleased. <laughs> the point, family, is that God wants us to understand even in relationships between parent and child, even in our best relationships with others, we are always to remember love man, respect man, honor man, do many things towards man. But never, ever do I read in the Bible, God says, put your trust in man. Can't remember one verse where God said that. 
Put your trust in man. And the reason why God never said it is because he knows what comes with it. And it's called a curse. So we must learn that when we choose God and choose life and choose the blessing, it is to choose to trust him and not put our trust in men. Now, again, is this hard or is this easy? What do you say? I think it's hard. I think it's very hard. Do you want to know why? Let's talk about the number one man that's hard to not trust. And that man we're going to call is self. Right? Again, I'm a man. You are a woman. And we easily can put our trust in ourselves, can't we? It is not a wonder that God says something in Proverbs 3. Let's turn there. In Proverbs, the third chapter, what do we see that God says to each and every one of us? Proverbs, we're looking at chapter 3. Very, very popular text. They actually have scripture songs and everything that are made by this verse right here, these verses. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I want you to see even more clearly what does trusting in man look like versus what trusting in the Lord looks like. Because we're really talking about the choosing between blessings and curses, and God's desire is for us to choose the blessing, which is where the gift is. So now here it is. We're in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? And in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with how much? With all your heart. Oh, but watch the next part. It says, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So what does trusting in man look like? It is when we lean unto our own ways. That helps me better understand trust in man, because sometimes when the Bible says, cursed be the man that puts his trust in man. Well, we may not understand what that means, but Proverbs helps make it a little bit more clear. We lean to our own ways. Versus God's ways. God says when we do that, we're inviting the curse. He doesn't want us to get the curse. He wants us to get the blessing in the blessing. There's life. And so what God is trying to communicate to you and I, because we're living in a world right now. Boy, do I see this clear as day. It's just getting clearer and clearer every single day. I've always wondered how can America ever fulfill this thing we read in Revelation 13? You know, we read in Revelation 13, the second beast is going to cause the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And I'm thinking to myself, if that second beast is the United States of America, which I believe it is, that means that America has to get to a place that it begins to repudiate. It begins to just start chipping away at all of these rights and freedoms and all these other things that made America what it was. The two, the two things that made America great. The two things that made America great was republicanism and protestantism. That's what made America great. Republicanism, a nation without a king. Protestantism, a church without a pope. That is the foundation of the United States of America. That's what made America great. A nation without a king, a church without a pope. And there was a lot of exercise of various freedoms, even the freedom to hurt yourself, which is kind of weird, but even God believes in that. You know, one of the hardest things for me personally in my, my personal relationship with Jesus 
you know, one of the hardest things for me to understand about God. There's many things about God's character that I actually do understand, but there's a lot I don't as well. And one of the things that I don't understand about the character of God, and I don't charge him with folly. I don't believe he's a bad person because of this. It's just something I honestly can't understand about God. And that is watching your child make an absolutely self-destructive decision and you don't intervene. That is something I don't understand. Like, in other, if it were me, if I, if I see that, you know, we have statistics that a person kills themselves ever so many hours or what have you, especially when you're looking at all over the world. I'm thinking in my mind, if I had the power, every time somebody pulls a trigger, I would make that bullet just not go off. Right? Every time somebody wants to just take those pills and swallow it, I turn those pills into sugar. That's what I'm thinking. If I'm God and I can do anything, I'm not going to watch my child take his own life. I'm not going to do that. But God says he respects our choice. He, he actually respects our choices so much that he will actually respect. Now, it's not that he doesn't protest, but at a certain point when a person's mind is made up, God will actually let a person destroy themselves. It's a part of his character that I'm just like, wow, Lord, I don't I just don't know. Like if I watch my son or my daughter make a decision that was going to destroy themselves, I don't see how I couldn't try to control the situation. You understand that? But here goes God. He respects freedom of choice to such a point that he will actually see and know what you're about to do will not only destroy you, it'll destroy your family. And God will appeal and he'll reach and he'll do many things. But if the person's mind is made up, God will actually let them destroy themselves. And he does all of that because he remembers one thing. You know what really makes love love? It's called free will. True heaven born love is based on free will. Allowing you to make a choice. Even if the choice destroys you. That's a part of God's character I'm still trying to understand. But we're living in a world today <sighs> where people got to really make some wise choices. We have to make some very serious choices. And God is imploring us. When you make your choice, God says, make sure that that choice is blessing and that choice is life, and that choice is reflecting me. Because the antithesis is to choose self, of which the Bible says, don't lean to that. Lean not to your own understanding. How can we practically choose God when we think about our day-to-day -day decisions? Go to Matthew chapter 8. I want you to watch this story. In Matthew, the eighth chapter, I want you to watch this story very carefully. Very, very powerful story here. Powerful lesson. Matthew chapter eight. And what I am about to submit unto you is the rarity of Christian lifestyle. Um, the rarity of Christian lifestyle, meaning a lot of people who call themselves Christians are still struggling to live out this principle. This is very difficult what I'm going to share, but thank the Lord it's possible. Through Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 8, we hear this story, right? It's from verses 5 to 10 about a centurion. And here's what the Bible says about it. 
In Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 5. Now, I'll read verse 5, and if you don't mind, can you do verse 6? Then I'll do 7, you do 8, I'll do 9, and then you do 10. That's how we'll do it, okay? We're in Matthew 8, we're starting at verse 5. Because I want to know, what does it really look like to trust in the Lord? It says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. Go ahead, please, and read verse 6. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Now, please understand that Jesus is the author of faith. So if you ever want to know what faith is, go to the author. Right? Go to the author. The author of faith, Jesus, just told you and I what faith is. Did you see it? It was right there in verse 8. In verse 8, when Jesus offered to come to the man's house, Jesus said, the man said, no, do not come to my house. Just do this. And what did he tell Jesus to do? Speak the word only. And he says, my servant will be healed. Verse 10, Jesus turns the man around to all of Israel and says, I haven't found such great faith not even amongst my own Israelites. What was the demonstration of great faith that this man said? He said, Lord, I trust your words only. That your words are going to do everything you say. So you don't need to come to my house. Just speak the word. And he says, and I know my servant will be healed. So what is faith? Watch this. Faith is trusting the word of God only that the word of God is going to do everything it said it's going to do. Isn't that nice? I think a five-year-old can understand that. Seriously. You know, sometimes we say, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And it's kind of like, I don't know what that means, but I just repeated what the verse said in Hebrews 11. God says, listen, I want you to get understanding when you read a verse. I don't want you to just repeat a verse. God says, I want you to understand it. What is faith? It is trusting the word of God only that the word of God is going to do everything it said it's going to do. That's faith. So when we think about the blessing, where does the blessing come? The blessing comes from trusting in the Lord. What exactly are we trusting? We're trusting his Word without any other evidence. You know any Christians who live like that? Now, you and I are supposed to pick up the mirror and say, me. Right? But we're still in the development stage. I understand. We're still learning to trust the word of God only. Do you understand now why this precious little book called Great Controversy uh, says on page 519? And it says, Satan well knows that all whom he can get to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attacks. Doesn't that make sense now? The devil's number one way to overtake the people is keep them away from prayer and keep them away from the word. Satan said, and you know his, his master rule, right? Keep them busy. <laughs> Somebody said last night at our Bible study, Somebody said busy, mean, busy means being under Satan's yoke. And I was like, ooh, that's kind of deep, <laughs> you know. 
And I don't think busy means that because I'm busy at times and I'm not under Satan's yoke. You understand that? And you're busy at times taking care of God's business. And you're not under Satan's yoke either. But I get the point of what she was trying to say. But some of us can be so busy that we neglect our time for prayer and our time for deep study. The Bible says dig deep. You read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Bible says that the deep things, the deep things, God wants us to understand deep things. Don't be satisfied with surface study. You got to go deep. And the spirit of God will help you. The spirit of God will help me. But I believe we're living in a time family where the reality is, is that God wants us to learn to trust him and to trust him is to trust his words only. And as we trust his words, you will find there are blessings, so many gifts. Can I show you what, what, what does it look like to trust in God's words? Go to Hebrews 11. You see, when we're talking about trust in the Lord, because that's where the blessing is. Remember, we're choosing between blessings and curses. What does this look like when you and I get to a place that we're trusting in these words of God? Well, here's something that's a beautiful dynamic that I want you to see. Hebrews 11. We call this chapter the Hall of Faith. And in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, there's some powerful things that the Bible says. And I want you to look at verse four. And we're just going to read the first four words, right? So in my version, it says in verse four, by faith, Abel offered. Is that your version say that? Your translation say that? All right. Now let's go down to verse seven. In verse seven, it says, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved. Isn't that right? Good. Then we look at verse eight. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. I hope you're getting the point. Faith is never faith if all it is is a belief that does not produce action. Do, do you see that? That's the lesson from Hebrews 11. True faith, true trust in the word of God will never reside only in lip service. True trust in the word of God, where the blessings are, where the gift is, true trust in the words of God only will always move us to do something. It'll demonstrate our faith. You understand that? So true trust in God, which brings the blessings, always pushes us to action. That demonstrates we trust him. It demonstrates we trust him. Jesus is not only the author of faith. Jesus is our example of living faith. Jesus's whole ministry, he demonstrated faith. But there was one thing that Jesus went through that I thought was very deep. And that was one day when Jesus said, my God, my God, he's on the cross now. And Jesus says, my God, my God, he says, why have you forsaken me? What a strange statement. What a strange statement. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I want us to go to John 19 because 
we're going to bring this to a close. And I want us to see what the word of God says. In John 19, it is true. Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is true. But there's something else that Jesus said. In other words, when Jesus said that, I mean, he meant what he said as far as how he was feeling. But I'm grateful that's not where it all ended. The Bible makes it very clear in John 19 and verse 30. The Bible says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, his last words were, it is finished. Which was a statement of faith. Because it's something he believed that all of this life that he was living met its completion. There's nothing sweeter than to finish the work that God created you to do. One minute Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? The last thing Jesus says is, Father, your work is complete. My work is complete. A statement of faith. In other words, at one point on the cross, it was almost like he was losing faith. But thank the Lord, by the time you get to the last words to come out of his mouth, it's a statement of faith. My question was, what was it that took Jesus from, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, to, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's finished. What happened in between those moments? And I want to show you what happened. Jesus, like all of us, was a man who could remember. He would remember things, right? Here's what Jesus remembered. Jesus had previous evidence that the father did not leave him. He felt very forsaken, but he had evidence that the father didn't leave him previously. What was the evidence? You'll remember that there was a time in Matthew 3 and verse 17 where a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus heard that voice. That was previous evidence that he had. Later on in the experience of Christ in Mark 9, the Bible says another thing. After God did this amazing transfiguration where Elijah and Moses are on the mount with Jesus and Peter says, oh, man, let's let's go ahead and set up an altar. We'll set up one for Elijah, for Moses and for Jesus. And then God allowed a shadow to block out Elijah and Moses. And all that could be seen was Jesus. And here's what the Bible says about that. It says, and there was a cloud that overshadowed them. That's Elijah and Moses. It says it overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. So once again, Jesus was there and he heard those words of affirmation from his father. Another time came getting closer. To Jesus's demise. And Jesus was very perplexed, knowing what was getting ready to come and. Jesus was pleading to the father in prayer, father, glorify your name. And he cried that out amongst those Greeks. And here it is that the Bible says in John 12, Jesus said, father, glorify thy name. And the Bible says, then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it 
And then God speaks prophecy and he says, and I will glorify it again. I'm going to glorify it again. What helped Jesus in his moment of greatest despair? You have to understand when Jesus was on the cross, he is hearing the demons speaking to him and telling him you're a lost cause. On the cross, Jesus became sin for you and for me. He is literally the human embodiment of sin. He is representing sin. In other words, when we think about Jesus's death, it's way more than just a bloody mess. It's way more than just somebody who got beaten and bruised and whipped and, and is bleeding all over the place because there are a lot of people who died equal to the suffering physically that Christ went through. Just read history. Read the Holocaust. Look at what was done to those faithful Jews during a time of German persecution. But where none of these individuals can share the same experience with Jesus, did they bear your sins? Did they bear my sins? Did they feel and sense the wrath of God that was pouring upon them? They didn't feel that. But Jesus did. Jesus felt every bit of that. And my brothers and sisters, in that moment of deepest agony, you know what sin does between man and God. The Bible says our sins have hid his face from us. Isaiah 59, 2. So Jesus is looking. He's looking for approval from the father and he's not getting it. The clouds are dark. Everything is dark. It's bad. It almost appeared hopeless. I'm just trying to help you understand why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is bearing the punishment that we are supposed to avoid. It is as it were, he's bearing the curse. He's bearing the condemnation. He is sensing what sinners will feel that are unrepentant. And he's going through all of that right on the cross. And so he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Rightfully so. He feels completely forsaken. However, what does Jesus do in that dark moment? He remembers God's words. Behold, my son. In whom I'm well pleased. He remembers this is my son. Hear him. He remembers. Father, glorify thy name. And he says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. All Jesus has in that dark moment is a memory of his father's character revealed through his words. And my brothers and sisters, what you need to understand, <laughs> that's not just the story of Jesus. That's the story of God's people in the last days of Earth's history. The Bible says the faithful will go through a time that they will no longer be able to buy or sell. The Bible makes it very clear that all the world will wonder after the beast, which means there'll be a small group who won't. And that small group will be persecuted by the larger group to the point that it says, whosoever does not receive the mark of the beast should be killed. It's describing end time faithfulness. 
And those days are going to be dark because Jesus says a day shall come where the father and the mother will discover enemies in their own house. Their own children will turn their backs on them. There will be children that their mothers and their fathers will turn their backs on them. Things that in our minds are unimaginable. But yet the Bible says it's true. And the question is, what's going to hold you up during those dark periods? Everything that's happening in our country, let alone in our world, is letting us know the storms of persecution sooner or later. They're going to reach their point where it's really going to affect the people of God. Stuff happening right now is rehearsal for the greater events that are going to come very, very soon. And all it takes is a majority to agree whether there's science behind it or not, whether there's sense behind it or not. If the majority agree. It is truth. But here goes God saying he's going to have this group of people. That are actually going to trust his words only, and I'm telling you, it's going to look weird. I'm letting you know right now, true Christianity is living by the word of God only. That's true Christianity. It always has been. It doesn't matter how many people don't live this way. It's still the truth. True biblical Christianity. When people ask me, what is a Seventh-day Adventist? When they ask me that, Dwayne, what's a Seventh-day Adventist? My answer is biblical Christians. It's biblical Christians. We're not following traditional Christianity. We don't follow popular Christianity. We follow biblical Christianity, 10, 17. When they dress, they dress modestly, as 1 Timothy 2, 9 says. When they are treated wrong, they love even their enemies, as Matthew 5, 44 through 47 teaches. They live by the word. And this is rare. I'm just letting you know this is rare. I'm telling you right now, I have given up. For me, I'm done. I don't look to my left or right anymore to know what's right. I don't look to what councils and lots of people say. I don't do that. I've, I've learned enough to at least know I'm not going to look to what everybody else says and what everybody else thinks. If I want to know what the will of God is. I actually take my eyes off of everybody and I fix my eyes on his words. And I look to his words and I'm looking for one thing that I always look for with the character of God. I'm looking for consistency. Is the teaching consistent from Genesis to Revelation? And if it's consistent, it is truth. And then I ask God, Lord, now give me grace to obey this. You know, there's a song that says, I will follow thee, my savior. And it goes to a point where it says, And though all men should forsake thee, by thy grace, I'll follow thee. I believe those words. I don't like singing songs that I don't believe. If you ever see my mouth shut during song service, it's because I don't believe what's being sung. But if you see my lips moving when I'm singing in song service, it's because I've already asked myself, do I believe this song? Do I believe this, Lord? All right, then I'm going to sing it and I'm going to sing it right now. I know I can't see your lips, you know, because of the mask. But the day shall come. I can still see it moving. My hope and my prayer is that you believe the songs you sing. Don't just sing songs for singing sake. Song service will be a lot sweeter when we believe what we're singing. And we need to get to a place that we say, 
and though all men should forsake thee, by thy grace, I'm following you. In the Bible, the majority was always wrong. There's not one instance in scripture where the majority were right. I'm not looking to follow the majority. I'm looking to follow what God says. Here's what held Jesus and here's what's going to hold you and me. Faith and hope trembled in the expiring agonies of Christ because God had removed the assurance. Listen to what happened. This is what was going on on the cross with Jesus. And again, this is going to happen amongst us as God's people because we're going to go through a moment where we may feel like it's not true, but we will feel like God has left us. This is true for all of us. Listen to what it says. Faith and hope trembled in the expiring agonies of Christ because God had removed the assurance he had heretofore given his beloved son of approbation and acceptance. You see, before God had no problem. This is my son who is well pleased. This is my son who I'm well pleased. This is my son. Hear him. God had no problem doing that. Now at the cross, God refuses to give his son a word of approbation and acceptance. So you know what the father was doing with Jesus? The father was doing with Jesus what he's going to do with us. He's testing us. Do you trust my words? At a moment where you don't see me, at a moment where you don't feel me, at a moment where there is almost nothing that is letting you know I am with you and all you have is the memory of my words, God is going to say, do you trust me? And if you trust him, blessings. If you trust him, gift. Here's what it says. The redeemer of the world then relied upon the evidences which had hitherto strengthened him, that his father accepted his labors and was pleased with his work. In his dying agony, as he yields up his precious life, he has by faith alone, remember, trusting the word of God only. It says, has by faith alone to trust in him whom it is it has ever been his joy to obey. He is not cheered with clear, bright rays of hope on the right hand nor on the left. All is enshrouded in oppressive gloom. Amid the awful darkness, which is felt by the sympathizing nature, the Redeemer drains the mysterious cup even to its dregs. He's drinking the whole cup of bitter experience, even down to the very bubbles at the end of the cup. It closes by saying... Denied even bright hope and confidence in the triumph, which will be his in the future, he cries with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He is acquainted with the character of his father, with his justice, his mercy, and his great love. And in submission, he drops into his hands. Amid the convulsions of nature, are heard by the amazed spectators the dying words of the man of Calvary. He had nothing. All he could do was rely on what was shown to him previously. And that's where Jesus rested his case. I remember that was the very words. I had terrible anxiety when I went to get my heart surgery. The devil was having a lot of success perplexing my mind. And it was reading this account in volume two of the testimonies of 
The Sufferings of Christ. That's what the chapter is called. You should read it. Volume 2, page 200 to 215. You should really read it. And when I read that over and over again, how Jesus was able to say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I just said, wow. I fall into your hands. And that's what I said to God right there on that gurney when they're getting ready to go ahead and do all the surgery. I said, stop. And I called all the people in, anesthesiologist, surgeon and everybody. I said, come in. I said, I need to pray. Some were Buddhists. Some were seven day Adventists. Some were Christians of other denominations. One guy was Muslim. My anesthesiologist was Muslim. But I didn't care. I was like, I need y'all to pray. Nobody's touching my body until we pray. And I said that prayer and I asked God, I said, Lord, if this surgery is a point, because, you know, you can die from it. It's not likely, but you can. I said, Lord, if this is unto death, I said, forgive me of my sins, etc." I said, but if this is unto life, I said, I need you to anoint the hands of every single person in this room. Bless them, bless their families. I started asking God to bless them, bless their families, etc. And I remember that after that surgery, when all was said and done, they came to me later on. They said, man, they said those people were amazed at that prayer. They said they were so touched. Many people started thinking about God, thinking about Jesus, Buddhists and Muslims. Because of just that moment, Lord, I drop into your hands. Thy will be done. Evidently, his will was done because I'm standing before you. But my point is, is that God really wants to get us to a place to understand every day you got choices, blessings or curses. God says, I want you to choose the blessings because in the blessings, there's life and there's a gift. In the curses, there's condemnation. He doesn't want us to choose that. He says, choose life. And that is to choose him. And in choosing him is to choose his words only. And don't ever forget, there are many blessings and benefits that comes from choosing the word of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to the word. If you got foul ways in your life, you want those ways to be cleaned up, God says, take heed to my word. God also says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. If you don't understand salvation, if salvation is not that important to you, if salvation is confusing to you, God says, go to the scriptures. They will make you wise unto salvation. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said, you do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Err is making mistakes. How many of you are tired of making mistakes? God says, guess what? You can make less mistakes if you know the scriptures and the power of God. Imagine that. The Bible finally says, but he said, yea, rather, blessed, happy are they that hear the word of God and keep it. God says your greatest source of happiness is not how many times you can go out and have fun, fun, fun. God says your greatest happiness is when you know him and his words. And my encouragement to each and every one of us, brothers and sisters, is to remember God says, I have put before you life and death, blessings and cursings. What does God encourage us to choose? Choose life. Choose the blessing. Choose the gift. Avoid the curses where there's only condemnation. And to choose life and the gift is to trust in God. And to trust in God is to trust in his words only. And your trust is revealed in your actions. The life you and I live every single day. How many of us are ordering our lives according to the word. That is the demonstration of your faith. And God wants you and I to demonstrate our faith, not just talk it, 
but to demonstrate it. And so if you've made a decision to choose life, knowing all that is encompassed within it, remember, life and death, blessings and cursings. God says, choose life, choose the blessings. Based on our study today, question, how many of us understood the study today? Did you understand the study? You understood it? Amen. Question. If you've made a decision to choose life and choose the blessing. Knowing everything that we talked about. I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me. I want to pray with you. If you're willing to choose life and to choose the blessing. To accept the gift. That's why you're standing. And there's no question in my mind. God has plenty of gifts still in his bosom to pour out on every single precious soul in these last moments in earth's history. May we be found faithful. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the blessings of your word. We thank you so much that we stand between blessings and curses and life and death. You've called us to choose life, to choose the blessings which contains the precious gift, the gift of your son, the gift of salvation, the gift of your Holy Spirit, and every other blessing that comes in his train. I pray that you will help us to remember that to choose life is to trust your words only. And true trust in your words will always be revealed in our actions. And in these last days where there is mass confusion going on all throughout the world, please, Lord, help us to be wise and to look to you and your counsels to know what we should do. And I trust that as we do this, indeed, our lives will be blessed, happy. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for telling us these truths. Thank you for Jesus even being our most excellent example. May we follow in his steps, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.